and thank you for tuning in again to the Chasing the Sun podcast. This episode is going to be a little bit different as it's a sermon that I've done recently at church. I hope that it'll be a blessing to you uh, as much as it was me to study and prepare. And as always, if you have any questions, feel free to reach out to me on any of the Chasing the Sun podcast, social medias on Instagram or Facebook. Thanks, guys. Enjoy. Good morning to everybody uh, this morning. If those of you guys who don't know me, my name is Aaron. Uh, It's my privilege to serve here as a youth pastor and to bring us the word this morning. Uh, Before uh, we came, my wife and I moved to Cambridge, which is about three and a half years ago. Uh, We spent some time in Adelaide. And in Adelaide was where I was doing my Bible training, uh, studying at a Bible college called Bible College, uh, sorry, Adelaide College of Ministries. Uh, We really enjoyed our time there. And um, as any good college student, I was working a day a week um, to help put food on the table uh, because, you know, college doesn't pay, unfortunately. Um, And so I was working building rainwater tanks, um, sort of these galvanized rainwater tanks. And we'd go out, we'd take all the pieces out and build them on site. It was heaps of fun. And I remember one day we had a guy who was um, doing work experience um, and just checking out for a job. And it was basically my boss's way of getting free labor for a day because um, he generally never hired them after that anyway. Um, and so we were traveling in the car together and he goes, oh, so, you know, you're a Kiwi. What are you doing here in Adelaide? And I explained I was at Bible college. And by this point, we were starting to um, think, it, I think it was the third year we were there. So we were starting to think about coming home and heading back into, uh, full, coming back to full-time ministry. And we weren't sure where or what that would look like, um, but we knew that's what we were kind of doing. And he said, oh, so you're training to be a priest? And I said, oh, well, not exactly, you know, uh, looking to be a pastor or, or serve in a ministry. And he goes, oh, that must pay pretty well then. Um, <laughs> Thanks, Adele. I appreciate that. Uh, Rally Street is very generous, Adele, okay? All right? Um, yeah, so that's kind of why I laughed a little bit as well, right? But, you know, this guy had never stepped foot into church before. He had no clue, kind of, pastoral ministry, the priesthood, anything like that, right? He just kind of didn't really have any idea. Um, but it, it kind of uh, made me realize that um, for most people, their view of work is, is very much just finance, right? I work because I need the money um, and I need that money to do certain things, you know. So people will, uh, the posts come up on Facebook many times, but you know, you go to a job that you don't like um, to pay for a car that you can't afford, to live in a house that you can't afford um, with kids you don't like or something, you know, something along those lines, right? And so, um, not in my house, not in my house. Um, And so we kind of have this mentality that work Work, the primary purpose of work is uh, to gain financial resources so that we can then go and enjoy life outside of work. So we work a majority of our week, and then maybe we get to enjoy a little bit of time on the weekend, uh, or maybe when we're retired, we can go and enjoy life then. And I actually said to this guy, I was challenging him a little bit, I said, oh, you know, I kind of don't really think too much about like money being the primary purpose for working. I said, what's the point in, you know, building myself up a huge wealth of money um, and then my kids and grandkids are just going to go and waste it, right? And he was just like, oh, I never really thought about it that way, right? Like he never kind of thought too much beyond his life as to who was going to end up spending all of his money, his hard-earned money. Um, But again, this is the culture and the world that we live in that work is a primary means of just gaining money. And then we dial it back a little bit as well, and we start to talk with our young people. So I get to deal, uh, work alongside the high schoolers here, and I, and I love my job. But a lot of them are now at you know, year 9, 10, 11, uh, being asked, what are you going to do with your life? 
and they have to pick subjects at 15 years of age that are going to determine what study they're going to do when they leave school, which is then going to determine the career and trajectory for the rest of their lives. Now, I don't know about you, but at 15 years of age, I wasn't ready to make those decisions. Heck, I'm 29, and I'm still not ready to make those decisions. Um, and so we're actually importing, and, and this culture in the world around us is um, just weighing down on our young people that at 15 years of age, you need to make a decision as to what you are going to do when you leave school. Because work is what defines us. Hi, I'm Aaron. Nice to meet you. What do you do? It's the first question we ask someone, right? What do you do? It defines who we are. So we're putting this pressure on our young people. There's a pressure on ourselves that all life is about is working to get as much money as we can so that hopefully when the day's over, I can go home and enjoy my money and my hard-earned cash, right? Well, I think God has a different plan for us when it comes to work. Now, I'm setting up a bit of a picture here and a question that I'm not actually going to answer this morning, um, which is always fun. Nick is going to do kind of a biblical view of work uh, in the coming weeks, and it might end up being in one of the elective sessions, and I, and I highly recommend you checking it out. But the reason I raise this for us is because I want us to understand that our view of work has been imported by the world that is around us. And it's not necessarily a biblical worldview of work. And so we think, I'm going to do a job so that I can serve in the church with my free time. Instead of thinking in terms of going, what is God calling me to do? And how does my work facilitate and aid that call that God has on my life? How am I going to serve God's kingdom? And then how does work fit into that, that sphere? But this morning, we're actually just going to look, look a little bit about how we have faithfulness in our place of work and place of study. And we're going to touch on a couple of these things about not necessarily making decisions of what we're going to do, but how do we reshape our thinking? A, hopefully so that we don't put so much pressure on our young people, um, but B, for ourselves as well, just to reshape why is it that I get up and go to work each day? Why is it that I've chosen this career in my life? And we're going to look at Daniel's story a little bit about how not to be so affected, or in uh, the words of Daniel, defiled by the culture around us. And so if you've got your Bibles, turn to Daniel chapter 1. Hopefully you were there from the, the reading that we had before. And as we come to it now, I'm just going just gonna to pray for us. Father God, we thank you so much for your word. Uh, uh, we thank you so much for the story of Daniel, Lord, um, how he was able to stand fast in his uh, time of need. Uh, we've, we pray, Lord, that uh, we would learn from his example this morning, Lord, and, and learn to stand fast in the culture that we live in as well. Father, as the, uh, the rain and the water does not return to you without accomplishing your will, we pray also that your word will do the same in our midst as well, that as it goes out, it will not return to you without accomplishing your will. And we pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we look in um, Daniel chapter 1, verse 8, uh, we see that Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. And therefore he went and asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. And so we see here that Daniel's great concern is not to be defiled by this food that he was about to eat. Now we're not 100% too sure as to why this particular food might defile Daniel. Now we do know through Levitical law that there are certain foods that they're not supposed to eat, food like pork and pig. Um, and on the other hand, they're not supposed to eat food that has been sacrificed to idols. And we don't actually read whether that's the type of food that they're given, but it's the king's food, it's royal food, so it's going to be of a high quality, and most likely it would have been um, attributed or, or used in uh, worship of idols. But at the same time, 
the vegetables that they end up being given was probably also used in worship to idols. So we're not really 100% sure what it is about this food that Daniel is so concerned about. But I don't think it's so much exactly what is the food as much as it is as Daniel taking back a piece of control from being uh, affected and defiled by the world around him. And so as we were, we've um, looked at over the last couple of weeks and we've read through Daniel chapter 1, there's actually a couple of other ways that King Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonian Empire have tried to defile um, Daniel and his friends and those that are around him. So the first is that when they sacked Israel, they took a bunch of the stuff from the temple and brought it back to their temples. So their thing, uh, the, the objects that they used to worship are now being used to worship false idols. So this is one way that they've already been defiled. The second way is that they're now out of their land. That was the land that God had given them. In fact, I was watching a video yesterday and someone still referred to Jerusalem or Israel as the Holy Land. In the time of Israel, that was the Holy Land. That was the land that set them apart from the world that was around them, that God called them into that land. We also see um, in verse 7 that the chief eunuch gives them new names. And Nick talked about this a couple of weeks ago, about what those new names mean. Basically, their traditional Israel names point to God in an amazing way. Daniel himself, his name means God is judge. And then on the flip side, the new names that they're given now try to worship and speak to the gods of Babylon. And so their location has changed. The place where they used to go and worship has now changed. And their names are now changing. And all of these things were used to conform them to the world that they were now living in and to defile them and to take them from being a place of being the holy people of God, the people that have been set apart by God for his purpose, to now being used in the Babylonian empire. And so when it comes to the food, we all of a sudden see Daniel have an opportunity to still have some control of that defilement. So he can't control what they call him, They can't control what clothes they put on him. They can't control the geography in which they place him. But he can control what food goes into his mouth. And so we see for Daniel that in Babylon, idols, names, food, and schooling. So then again, we see in um, chapter 1 that they were going to be learning um, about the Chaldeans, the language, the literature, all of these things were going to be assigned for them to teach, to be taught and trained in the way of the Babylonians. What about in our culture? What is it that the world around us is trying to use to defile us? Now, if you're sitting here and you're unsure what I mean by defile, let's put it in this way. The opposite of defile is to be holy. We know in the New Testament that God says in 1 Peter that we are now a holy people, a royal priesthood, set apart by God for his purpose. In the temple of Israel, in the temple in Jerusalem, a vessel that was holy was set apart for a specific purpose. For worship and praise for God. We, as the church, are a holy people set apart by God for his purpose. Daniel, as an Israelite, was a holy person set apart by God for his purpose. Yet the culture around him was trying to defile him, was trying to stop him from being set apart for God's purpose. And if we stop and think about the culture in which we live in Cambridge in 2021, What is happening around us that is trying to defile us, to stop us from being a people that is holy, set apart for God's purpose? Now, I put a couple of things up there, and again, not an exhaustive list by any means. And I think 
If we ask that question, every single one of us will have a different answer to that, and that's totally cool. But culture is a huge thing, right? It's like trying to tell a fish that it's wet. A fish doesn't know it's wet until it's what? Out of water. Even then, it's probably not quite switched on enough to know that it's wet. For us, we live in a culture that we probably don't even realize how much it's affecting us until we step out of that culture. Right? So when I went to Adelaide for three years, it was a different culture. Now, still looked very similar. The banks were a little bit different. The gas stations were a little bit different. But generally, you know, they talked English or a variation of English. Um, actually, I was kind of surprised with Adelaide. I, my expectation of Australian uh, like English was like Queensland really thick. Um, Adelaide's not quite so much. They're a bit more of, almost a bit closer to us. Not quite perfect English like us, but they're getting there. <clears throat> but coming back to New Zealand was actually, I had a culture shock after being away for three years. So I grew up in a small town called Tupuki over the Kaima Hills, and uh, my parents were living in Papamoa um, through my teen years, and we returned home and we're in Papamoa, and there were little Māori boys running around with bare feet, no, shirt, no shirts on. Don't see that in Adelaide. It actually, like, it kind of just confronted me all of a sudden. I was like, that's right, I'm back in New Zealand now. It was a bit of a culture shock. The other crazy culture shock for me coming home was, um, and whether you know it or not, but it's tall poppy syndrome. Right? <clears throat> so when someone rises up and starts to succeed, we just want to cut them down. And what we don't realize is that not only have we been affected by that, but we perpetuate that to people around us as well. That we just call them names or we talk about them behind their back or we just don't encourage them and we just tear them down, tell them they're not good enough. But not only are we affected by the culture here in Cambridge in 2021, now through social media, the news, we're quite literally affected by the cultures all around the world. You know, as we look at the political landscape of New Zealand, I can't help but think how much it's been shaped by the political landscape of the states. That in America now, we're seeing this huge like, polarization of each end of the political spectrum. And I don't think in the past, New Zealand was really affected that way as much. But I think it is now. More and more now, we are seeing the ends of the political spectrum. That through social media and the means of the world, we're now having that effect here as well. And finally, the desires of the flesh. Not only are we affected by things externally around us, but we are affected by things eternally, internally as well. That is sin in our life. That is the desire that we actually have to live a defiled life. Because it's not just people telling me that I should live a defiled life. It's not just social media. It's just not just culture. It's actually within my own heart. I was talking to Mark just before I got up here this morning, and I said, I've had to really wrestle with my heart this week because as soon as I found out, oh, it's only a 20-minute sermon, my heart was going, cool, you don't have to do as much work. That's a desire of the flesh, to skate by without doing as much work. And I had to wrestle with that because I was like, it's only 20 minutes, you know. Old sermons were 30 to 35. That's more work. It's not, just FYI. But that was what my heart was trying to tell me to do. And I wonder in your workplace, whether that's a job that you go to or whether that's your home where you serve your family or where you volunteer your time, whatever place that is, how are you being faithful like Daniel was to not be defiled, to not be conformed to the world that is around us 
as Romans 12 tells us, to not be conformed to the patterns of this world. So here's three questions that you can ask of culture that's around you. How is this trying to shape my identity? How is this trying to give me security? And how is this trying to give me purpose? Again, in 20 minutes, this kind of like is a couple hour probably sermon just on these three alone. But actually our culture around us is going to try and shape our identity. It's going to try and take our identity away from being as a child of God. And actually as a child of God, that's where my security comes from. As in I'm secure and I'm locked as a child of God and there's nothing that anyone else can do to take that away. Romans 8, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The end of Romans 8, nothing can separate me from the love of God. And what about my purpose? Go therefore unto all nations and make disciples. As a child of God, I have identity, security, and purpose. The culture and the world around us will continually come in and try and take all three of those places. And in fact, work will try and take all three of those places. That my identity comes as a pastor. No, no, no. My identity is as a child of God. Now, I'm not going to go up to someone and go, what do you do? Well, I'm a child of God. (laughs) You could try it. Tell me how it goes. I'd love to hear But that's my identity. It's not in what I do. What about my security? Well, if I got a good salary, good insurance, good house, good car, I'm secure. I'm comfortable. I'm all good. Something bad happens, it's all good. Insurance is there to cover me. Right? And so we work hard to pay for insurance to be secure. And our work is trying to take that place of security. Now, I have insurance. I'm not trying to say don't have insurance. Just say no. Insurance is good purpose this is the kicker with work right what do I do with 40 to 50 to 60 to maybe even 80 hours of my week and it becomes my purpose maybe if you're a a mum or a dad or a husband or a, um, a husband or a wife that your work begins to take the place of purpose of serving your family I was actually saying to Jess and a few friends this week Uh, In the last two weeks, it's the first time I've ever actually wanted to stay late at work and not go home because home's been a little tough lately. And even as a pastor, my purpose, identity, and security can become wrapped up in what I do. So we're going to look at what Daniel does to help us not be defiled. It says in verse 8, but Daniel resolved, verse 8, Daniel resolved in his heart. So the NIV and the ESV resolved. In LT, he was determined. Daniel was determined not to be defiled. Or Daniel made up his mind. In the Hebrew, it's this this idea of placed on his heart. Daniel placed on his heart. So placed his desires, his mind. Everything was made up that he would not be defiled by the things that are around us. And I think... When we look back at Daniel, and I was, I was trying to figure out you know, how to explain this, and, and Nick talked about how it was like a 300-day journey or something crazy like for them to travel and get to Babylon, right? He's had a long time to think about how not to be defiled, knowing where he's going, right? And I think if we can ask these two questions of ourselves, it'll help us to not be defiled in our workplace. Why am I here? It's my good English of a lowercase i up there. Why am I here? Now, I don't mean like when you get to work at 9 o'clock in the morning or 7.30 or whenever that is and go, why am I here today? I've got to do my emails. No. Why am I here? 
on this earth? What is the purpose for my life? Now, I think we can all have a big picture. My life is to serve God. Awesome. That's really good. And if we hold on to that, that's really cool. But what does that actually look like for you? Because why I am here is to serve God. And for me, that looks like serving God through working in this church to serve the young people of our community, to bring them to Christ and to grow them up in Christ. And then the hope is to send them out to be bold for Christ. That is why I believe that I'm here. But that doesn't just fit my 40-hour week. That fits all of what I do, that I'm here to serve God's young people and help them grow in Christ. Well, what is it for you? Have you ever actually stopped and written down a why are you here? I was talking with my wife yesterday and she said that um, uh, she looks forward to the day where she can kind of do some part-time work so that she can serve people alongside. Now, if you don't know, my wife is, uh, we've got a, a daughter who's about two and a half and she's heavily pregnant at the moment and isn't really enjoying life. And so it's kind of enjoying thinking about and looking forward to the future. And I said, well, let's reshape our thinking a little bit here. And instead of going, okay, I'm going to find a 10 to 20 hour week um, job, part-time job, and then I'll serve outside of that. Think about this. What do you want to do with all of your time? And then how would a part-time job serve that? So for you sitting here today, and most of us, you know, generally older congregation, pretty set in your careers and your jobs, maybe you've never really thought about this, and maybe this might bring a career change. Awesome, cool. But if not, all good. Just think in terms of what do I want to do with seven days of the week? What is it God that is God is calling me to do? And then how does my job fit into that? How does my work fit into that? The second one is where is the line? And this fits much more in line with what Daniel was thinking here. For him, he couldn't change his geography. He couldn't change the name that they were going to give him, the clothes that they put on him, the education that they were going to give him. But he could control the food. Well, where is the line for you in your workplace? Where is the line for you at home? What are those lines that you need to draw in the sand and say, no further, not past here? Now, often when we talk about ethics and Christian ethics and workplaces, we go, you know, what are you going to do when your boss asks you to lie? Now, I haven't worked in a lot of jobs, but I've worked in a few jobs that I've never once been asked by my boss to lie. Um, I, like I said, I had my boss who kind of, towed the line a little bit with some uh, hiring of people for a day and didn't pay them, but didn't ask me to be unethical. But that's quite an obvious one, right? There's black and white ethical things, you know, don't lie, don't kill your boss, yeah, yeah. I know we've all had those thoughts, it's okay. We won't go there. But what about the gray areas? What are the conscious decisions for you? In the New Testament, Paul talks about food sacrifice to idols, Right? So kind of similar to what's happening to Daniel here. But he says that's a conscious decision. That if you are comfortable eating food sacrificed to idols and not feeling like it's a sin, awesome, go for it. But also don't cause your brother or sister to stumble. If it's an issue for you and you can't eat food sacrificed to idols because you feel it's a sin, then don't. That's a conscious issue. A conscience. Conscience. Not a conscious. Well, kind of both. Conscience issue. So what is it for you? Where is the line in your workplace? Where is the line at home that you need to make those decisions on? Maybe it's something like just saying, look, I can't be contacted when I'm after dinner or before dinner. Once I go home at five o'clock, I can't be contacted. Right? 
You know the Lord calls us to work heartily as if for the Lord, right, in Colossians? What if the problem is, is that what we think meaning to work hard is what the world is telling us working hard means, not what biblically and what God is calling us to do to work hard? Again, we're asking the question, what is going to try and stop us from being holy and set apart and used for God's purpose and instead be defiled to look like the world that is around us? Daniel even gives us some actions to kind of flow through with here. It says that, um, uh, he, therefore he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. And God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. And the chief said, I fear my lord the king who assigned your food and drink for who, or for why should he see that you are in worse condition than the youths who are of your own age? Daniel said to the steward whom the chief had assigned over them, Test your servants for 10 days. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance and their appearance of the youths who eat the king's food be observed by you and deal with your servants according to what you see. Daniel does two things here, I think. One, he goes and has a conversation with his boss. He says, this is an issue for me and I don't want to do it. Have you had an open, upfront conversation with your boss going, actually, this is across the line for me? This is across the line with my values. Do you know young people in school, you can do that with your teachers? You can do that with your friends? This is across the line for me. Do you know, so I grew up in Tapuki. Uh, one of the things that Tapuki is famous for is something called Tapuki Thunder. Does anybody know what Tapuki Thunder is? Cool, one person. One, only one person. Andy, we need to have a chat later, bro. Um, Tapuki Thunder is marijuana, okay? Cool, okay. So Tapuki Thunder is is, and again, I don't know where it's, where it's at now, but when I was in school, uh, across, apparently across the country, it was quite a famous type of uh, marijuana. Um, and, and, you know, you'd walk past, kids are smoking in the um, toilets, they're smoking after school. Marijuana is quite a big thing in Tapuki. Not once did any of my friends who were smoking and drinking ever offer me anything. And the reason is, is because they knew where the line was with me. They knew where the line was. I'd had that conversation with them. They knew where I sat on it, and they, um, and they respected me for it. Some of our young people are facing that issue now where you guys are going to parties, and you're hanging out with your friends, and you're doing all that. And I went to parties. I went to, like every other weekend in year 13 was 18th, right? Wanted to go and hang out with my mates and spend there, celebrate the 18th with them. But no one was offering me stuff because they knew where I stood. Talk to your friends. Stand with them. Find friends that you can stand with. Daniel had his three friends that he could stand with. Find those friends that you can stand with. Finally, trust in God. Test your servant for 10 days. And comes up in 3 verses 18 to 22, which is the um, fiery furnace. God will deliver us, but if not, we will not be defiled. But if not, we will not bow down and worship your idol. I just kind of reused it so that it fitted with what we're saying. Don't tell God that I changed the Bible. Um, God will deliver us, but if not, we will not bow down to your idol. I think if that's what they're saying in chapter 3, it's probably where Daniel was sitting here as well. He's saying, test us for these 10 days, and you know what? If we're worse off, you can just kill us and you can send us back. We're going to put our trust in God. All good. Put your faith and your trust in God. A couple other key things um, to kind of hit on 
which we won't get, go into. Um, the excellence that Daniel then finds and his friend then finds is given to them by God. God gave Daniel favor. The Lord gave Jehoiakim, at the start of chapter 1, the king of um, Judah, into the hand of the Babylonian king. God gave. And God gave them learning and skills and all wisdom and understanding. And God gave Daniel understanding of visions and dreams. We put our faith and our trust and our hope in God. We seek wisdom through his means. And God will give us wisdom and understanding in other areas as well. Again, this is a huge topic, which I'd love, if you want to, come chat with me afterwards. More than happy to do that. But as we close here today, stop and think about what are the issues in my life? What are the places, the things in my place of work, in home, that are trying to cause me to be defiled? That are taking me from a place of being holy and set apart by God for his purpose and then trying to shape me from that to be conformed to the patterns of this world. If you look at your week and it looks nothing, uh, if there's nothing different than your friends who are non-Christians or your co-workers who are non-Christians other than you sitting here on a Sunday morning, then you have been conformed and you have been defiled by the world around you. But as we talk about this, I can't help but think that there's been one man who came six, seven hundred years after Daniel who walked this earth and was never defiled once. He came sent by God, holy, set apart to do God's work and nothing in this world could defile him. Nothing in this world could deter him from God's plan. Most of you hopefully have picked up who I'm talking about. That's Jesus. And Jesus comes and he accomplishes God's will by living the perfect, undefiled life for us. As we talk about these things, sometimes guilt can come into our lives that, oh, well, I'm defiled on a weekly basis. I'm defiled on a weekly basis too. Feels weird saying that. The world is constantly trying to conform me to its patterns. God died. Christ died for us so that we could be holy and set apart. And as we come to a time of communion now, just come back and rest in that. Thank God for that. That he's the one who gives us our holiness, that he gives us our place of being set apart in this world. That no matter how many times I stumble and I fall, it doesn't change that I'm holy and set apart. And I don't have to try and do something before I can come back to him. He's just there for us.